You're perfect. <laughs> You're perfect. Oh. All right. Should I kick it off? Yeah. Are you recording all this? Yeah, yeah. I'm recording all this. Sure. Yeah, let's just actually keep this. All right, welcome everybody to the second episode of Toon Shed. You heard it here first. That's our new name. We just decided. We think it's great. Uh, I'm Blake Murray, uh, hosting you with uh, Marty Gray. Pew, What's pew, up, pew, Marty? Pew, dude, <laughs> it's so good. I'm hanging out. Today was a great day. What What is up today? What did you do? What What happened? Well, for starters, I went to the gym. And that's that's a good day nice. when you go to the gym. I do. I've been going to the gym like yeah. five days a week. Oh my god! I don't know how. I don't know how this is possible to do. Is this it. like a pandemic hobby that sort of just spun out of control, and now you're you know a gym rat? I should I should have gone to the gym during the pandemic. I should have. I really should have. No, this is literally like since July. It's so new. Wow. So nice. Yeah, I have no right to call myself a like a gym rat. Or like I don't know what I'm doing, but it, it's fun to go. It's fun to go. I I mean, Blake, we've known each other for 18 years now, and n- neither at, at at no point has either one of us been like buff ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, come on, Marty. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> we both. I mean. We've both been on the, I mean, like in uh, in high school, we were both on the Nordic ski team. Fun fact. True. Yep. Fun fact. So, so we were, yeah, like, chicken legs skiing. are the definition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, chicken legs. It was. I mean, we had like pretty yeah. good triceps and abs, though. Yeah, decent. I mean, for high schoolers. <laughs> for high schoolers. Yeah. Now nah, we probably just looked like sticks. Yeah. Those stick boys. Well, yeah, dude. Congratulations. I've been going to the gym a little bit too. Feels good. Um, I love the gym. Endorphins. Good for you. Yeah. Although the culture is pretty... Actually, one thing about being a gym rat, you know, I think it's totally cool to just call yourself a gym rat, even if even if you don't go that much or you don't feel like you identify with the people at the gym or whatever, because sometimes taking on an identity helps you get to it. I feel like that happens with music too, actually. Like, if I say I'm a musician, then when I go to sit down, it's, like, easier for me to just, like, it's not a choice. I just, I just, it's not a decision. I just, oh, yeah, I do this. I can just sit down and do it, you know? Uh, and it, it helps me a little bit, I think. Um, Bro, there's, like, but, there's wisdom in that. There's, like, yeah. some serious wisdom in that. I mean, yeah, thanks. And the other half of it is that gym culture is so weird, but it's, I think it's really healthy to exercise, obviously, and I wish everybody could feel comfortable in gyms but it's it's a weird culture so uh makes sense if you're not comfortable in gyms too those are my those are my two big gym thoughts of the day right there yeah those are some pretty good gym thoughts i guess like i go to planet fitness because i'm like i can pay Mm. 10 bucks a month i'm fine like i don't need i don't don't, that's a great deal i don't need much you know but they have their whole thing (laughs) where it's like you matter and and no lunks allowed (laughs) like Oh, that's great. No gym intimidation. Fighting against it. It's great. It's like, gym it's timid- fun. Yeah, right. It's like, it's this, it's sort of like, it's a little cringy, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. ugh, okay. But I'm like, I, I see how this is important. I see how this is good. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. Oh, wait, have I done the intro bit where I say that I'm a struggling musician and you're a professional musician and that kind of thing? No, have no, no. Catch everybody oh. up on what's going on. <laughs> 
Okay, so, well, yeah, I'm Blake, uh, also known as Make Blu-ray. Uh, Blake Murray, kind of fun little remix there. And I make music as an amateur, and Marty is a professional musician. And actually, I wanted to I wanted to do this. I think maybe every once in a while I want to ask you, Marty, because I don't even know how many different projects you work on at a time. But like, maybe just tell us one thing that you're a part of right now today uh, in the life of a musician. Like, yeah, what do you do? Oh, geez. Just one thing though, just one. We'll get to we'll get to them over time, but just kick us off with one. Well, for sure. Well, geez, I mean, that's presuming I know all of the things that I do, <laughs> and I I don't think oh. I can keep, can keep track. But I think so. Okay, one thing I'm working on is uh, I guess I'll just start with the 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 most important project and the one dearest to my heart, which is my solo project. Mm. I I love my solo project very much, and oh, good. It's just uh, it's me making music on my own, usually with very very little help, right? It's just me like mm. composing stuff, and um, all the music that I make is usually based around like my experiences back home in Marquette, or mm. like things that happened in my childhood. It's very like, it's very like my soul, um, like reflective kind of thing. Yeah, right? it's super reflective, and that's super nice. It's a uh, it's it's a fun little respite from all of the more you know professional like client based work, studio based work that mm. I do. Um, it's indulgent for you, maybe. Yeah, no, it's super indulgent. It's like incredibly indulgent. Sometimes uh, indulgent to the point of feeling guilty about it. <laughs> you know. Oh, for sure. Well, it makes sense why you love it so much. You know, I, I mean, speaking of little shout out to Marquette, Michigan. It's a beautiful place to grow up and. Also, yeah, a lot of crazy things can happen there. So it's yeah. so true. It's very inspiring. It's a really inspiring place to be. It is. Yep. Yeah. So cool. That's well, that's fun. awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, what are what are what did you do today? Tell me something about what uh, you're up to. What did I do today? I'm blanking. I bought two plants today. What kinds? I both non-toxic to cats that's all i know oh. <laughs> there's so many plants i couldn't decide we needed some plants because we don't have enough and uh my cat will attempt to eat any type of plant and then will throw up everywhere uh, and <laughs> thinks it's a fun game so we have hanging plants that are extremely uh safe for for cats and we finally got two and it really makes the room feel more alive um which we're going to talk about today, aren't we? What are we talking Oh my God. You want to we- kick off the topic that you've been thinking about? <laughs> what a segue. Holy crap. That was amazing. Yeah, speaking, yeah, of, um, speaking of spaces, we are going to talk mm-hmm. about your space, specifically um, making a vibe rather than catching one. That's, that's sort of the theme today. Um, we're going to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what might be wrong with your studio space or your songwriting space or your dorm bedroom, mm. or wherever you make stuff. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. sort of like the science of, of setting up a good, solid space. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about motivation and what the pros do to like stay motivated, um, stay creatively active, and sort of like tips and tricks you can do to get over like mental creative humps. Put it that way. Oh my gosh, Marty, I'm stoked. All these issues apply to me. Uh, and I, I'm feeling bold in saying it. Every, I, I'm always stuck with music. I've been stuck my whole life, and um, I keep coming back to it. So I, I know it's got to be that way. But yeah, can't wait to hear about it. Where should we start? Well, let's start. Let's just start at the top. So this episode will be 
for you if you have ever said something like, yo, I always come up with great ideas for like melodies and chords, but it's always in the car or it's always on the plane or it's like always right when I get up. By the time the I'm shower. like back home. Yeah, dude, in the shower. Oh, that's such a problem. <laughs> oh, my God. I bet there's a pro musician who has a microphone, like a waterproof microphone in their shower and can just hit a button. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, yeah. We might have to do some digging on that. Ooh, we got a product to sell. A little waterproof tape recorder. Oh, that's perfect. You can mount it wow. in your shower. All right, no one take that idea. Yeah, that's my idea. <laughs> just please. <laughs> Don't take that idea. It's a tune shed copyrighted idea. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay, so uh, have you ever said that? I'm always in an inconvenient spot. By the time I'm home, I forget it. I'm not inspired. Or mm-hmm. if you've ever said, um, I just need to I need to find some motivation to get back on the DAW or like get back on writing, get back in Ableton, get mm-hmm. back on my guitar. Um, mm-hmm. If you've ever said, oh man, if I, have, if I had a setup like that, I'd make music all the time. You know, mm-hmm. that's a really mm-hmm. common one when you see videos of like T-Pain's studio <laughs> or like someone famous. You're like, oh man, if I had a mm-hmm. setup like that, like I'd be in there all the time. Man, and I actually, sorry to interject, but I was just talking about this the other day uh, with my girlfriend, and I was like, I would love to have a whole room dedicated to music with two full walls that are all glass and get as much natural light in there because it makes me feel awesome. And I was also, like, right before that conversation, watching all these videos on YouTube of different producers with their beautiful, beautiful studios. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, anyways, we can get into it more later, but I just thought I'd have to throw that out there. Oh, yeah. Guilty. Some of those guys just have it made. I mean, money helps for sure. (laughs) Yeah, money helps, definitely. But also, they got nice style in it, too. I think there's kind of something to that. Yeah, yeah, there is something to be said about you know, having a little bit of a design mind. And that doesn't take money. That just takes time. That just takes True. time and effort, you know? Or you can go like the Dave Grohl, you know, like Nirvana, Foo Fighters route, which is like this love of garage rock. Like you should play in a basement and like make the magic there, like wherever you can get people together. You know, that's, uh, yeah, there's kind of that attitude too. Yeah, things um, don't necessarily still, have it's to It's still look. design space. Oh, yeah. No, things don't necessarily have to look like Pinterest. They just have to be special to you. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has to have some meaning to you, huh? Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I was interjecting other things that people people might say, right? Oh, yeah. The um, If you've ever said something like, I've just been stuck in a sort of creative dry spell, or mm-hmm. I just haven't really been feeling creative this past week, month, while, whatever. Um, all of those mm-hmm. things we're going to talk about, right? Sweet. Um, yeah, I all those apply to me too. So, <laughs> this is just from a, a sort of egotistical viewpoint or self-centered viewpoint. I, I'm stoked on this. <laughs> well, right. And it's like, dude, the big secret is like it happens to me. It happens to your favorite artist. It happens to everybody. It's hmm. It's everybody. Um, and they all have different tactics, ways of dealing with it. I think the thing that I kind of want to stress um, is that this specific episode is about this problem when it comes to making the very first step in the creative process, right? Which is the initial engagement, right? It's like super easy on paper, but the hardest in practice, right? The initial- Like en- showing up kind of thing? Exactly. 
Yeah, the initial engagement. Huh. The very first click in the DAW, the very first chord on the guitar, the very first lyric in the in the notebook. You know? Hmm. Like the I, I think I mean we'll we'll eventually talk about what happens mid creative process. We'll eventually talk mm-hmm. about like finishing a project. Um you know, super, and a whole nother beast. Oh, a whole nother beast. Yeah, we'll talk about that for sure. Um, but I okay. kind of want to focus this conversation on like the things that prevent people from making that initial step, the fr- the like the super duper first step. And does this sort of apply to the long term too? Like, because I feel like a lot of times I'll get into it for a little while, be making music, be all happy, you know, telling all my friends I'm happy about it, and then two months later, it's like, oh man, I actually haven't done anything now, and I want to get back into it again. It's always like that. Yeah. Yeah. So like you'll have to make that very first step multiple days in a row is sort of how mm-hmm. I, I like to think about it. Right. Like yeah. what's going to, mo- okay. what's going to motivate you to keep coming back? You know, yeah, what are the, what are those like positive reinforcement feedback loops we can set up? Well, we're getting into psychology here. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, know. For, I love it. For those that don't know, Blake knows a little bit about the brain which is going to be great for this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I was a big psychology fan when I was, uh, you know, figuring myself out more in college. But I also have some serious beef with psychology, especially about the research and how it gets perceived. And nah, we don't have to get into that. It's a whole nother tangent. But yeah, I'm going to talk. Uh, I'm going to talk about that with you sometime. Because I'm yeah, very maybe curious. Maybe some other time. We'll, it, yeah, maybe something will come up that'll trigger it and I'll start ranting, but um, maybe we can avoid it. Yeah, let's too. get Blake we'll to rant. Let's do that. <laughs> I want that. But not now. So in in my mind, there are two places where friction can get in the way of initial engagement, right? That's okay. the mental space and the physical space, you know, broadly speaking. Okay. Um, and I guess I make that distinction only to sort of like, separate our conversation and like make it tangible okay so we're gonna we're gonna hit the mental space then the physical space or vice versa yeah i think we'll hit the physical space first we'll get all that all the cool. all the tangible like real stuff out of the way and then we'll sort of get we'll we'll get more abstract as we go so nice. all right the the big uh the sentence i have highlighted here the most active music makers i know approach these engagement problems much like an athlete would approach technique discrepancies or like a business person would approach cost cutting these these people these uh these people that i know they're diagnostic and scientific about motivation right they treat it as a like a sort of tangible pliable data point rather than an elusive phenomenon and i think that's really important um it's not it I mean that that whole thing shouldn't be taken as sort of like truth, like a Newtonian law, more of a way of thinking about your own motivation, right? And your own yeah. space, right? It's something you can work on. It's something that you can you can say, "Hey, there there's a way that I can improve this. There are strategies that I can implement to like make my space better and improve my motivation." Right? So Huh. It's the people that I really admire. Yeah, right. It's they um and the people that I really admire, they they talk about motivation like that. Like it's a like it's silly putty. Yeah. And not to belabor the point, but I do feel like just in my entire life as a musician, 
a lot of these problems have felt really intangible or like like you said an elusive phenomenon just sort of ah this keeps happening and that's all i've sort of noticed i haven't really reflected on in a way and and said oh i'm gonna tackle how to initiate this process because if i do that it's gonna work you know i was just like oh i keep falling in and out of making music and it causes me some sort of stress or dissonance right yeah i really feel that and you know it's i come at this as a total hypocrite because even as i write all this out i know for a fact that sometime this week i'm gonna like be eating something and i'm gonna be like (laughs) i don't i just don't want to do that (laughs) i don't want to make what i want what i need to make it's gonna happen. I mean, that's human condition, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. constantly. You don't want to go to work. You don't want to do this and or that here and there. Yeah, and I'm not trying to like. <laughs> I'm not trying to self-diagnose every hour of the day. That's exhausting. That's a good point too. Yeah, just don't stress it when this stuff comes up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I guess, you know, don't don't listen to this episode and be like, oh. This guy's got it going on. He he's always motivated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a human condition. All right. Yeah. So, okay, let's get into it. Physical space. So, when it comes to physical space, I have a boss at a studio that I work at. His name is Jeff, and he is a super big proponent of feng shui. Right? He hmm. he loves saying, "Ooh, this is this is good feng shui." And he sets up his studio um, sort of under, like loosely under the philosophy of feng shui. So I looked at what feng shui actually means and I got, quote, a Chinese geomantic practice in which a structure or site is chosen or configured so as to harmonize with the spiritual forces that inhabit it, unquote. Hmm. (laughs) So that's interesting. You know, I've always heard of people use feng shui as... Well, it's like if you're if you're with your partner and or your housemate and you're arguing about how the furniture should go, he's like, "Oh, well, it has way better feng shui over here." Uh, that's sort of where I've heard it most often used, and and that's definitely definitely an inappropriate usage of it. So happy to have a definition out there. Yeah, and I I think like the general vibe of oh, it, like it has good feng shui there. The general vibe is is right, you know. But I think. Mm. Maybe the actual definition of feng shui sort of applies more to a workspace almost, you know, like you, you are trying to get your objects in your room to harmonize with the spirit that inhabits it, which is you, you, this, the music maker is the spirit that inhabits it. Right. Mm. And so the goal then becomes, how do I set up all of my objects to harmonize with me? You know, you're the center of the universe now. Wow, I like this. <laughs> it's what you've I always like where wanted. This is going. <laughs> <laughs> Dream come true. <laughs> it's wonderful. So, in order to subscribe to our perfect feng shui utopia, what we want to mm-hmm. do is minimize or eliminate elements of the space that cause friction. Right? So, we want to move things around in a pleasing way. Um, we want to make sure everything's accessible, obviously. We want to make sure it's, mm-hmm. you know, clean or, you know, fun dirty. <laughs> whatever fun dirty. whatever makes you happy. <laughs> you know? 
I never considered fun dirty. I'm a bit of a clean freak, but fun dirty actually seems interesting now that you mention it. You know how they say uh, gen- like geniuses make messes or whatever? Like all geniuses make messes. Do they say that? I feel like there's something along those lines <laughs> that out there. I immediately imagine like a baker or a chef with just like a cloud of flour and like food everywhere, but like their final plate is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. So in order so here okay. So here are some elements of your space that could be causing friction. So I mm-hmm. guess I'll ask this to you, Blake. Um okay. whenever you're getting set up to make music, is there ever a move that you have to make to set something up that causes an extra move? Oh my gosh, yeah, my computer only has two USB ports, and my microphone's a USB microphone, and my keyboard and mouse go to USBs, and my MIDI piano is also a USB, Uh, so I have to switch them if I want to use a piano or a microphone or my keyboard, and by keyboard, I mean like letters. That is (laughs) a perfect example. (laughs) That is a wonderful It is so frustrating. (laughs) Yes, that will wear you down. That will demotivate mm. you. That causes friction, right? Yeah. So like, and it does actually. Like, if I'm trying to just quickly record a vocal thing, and I was just playing something on my keyboard that makes notes. Um, by the way, how do you differentiate between like a piano or MIDI keyboard and like a keyboard that has letters and numbers? Is there like a term for that? Oh no. <laughs> I'm really stumbling over it. There today. should. Anyways, be. anytime should I have be. to switch between them, I have to replug something in, and it's a hassle. Yeah. Yeah, so that that is a perfect example of having to make an extra move to make something work, right? You mm. you would think, oh yeah, it's not it's not really a big deal. You're just you know plugging something else in. Like it's not a big deal. It's just mm-hmm. one move. But the thing that we want to minimize is those micro movements, those micro inconveniences, right? Those mm. literally will wear you down if you have too much of them, and it sort of very subconsciously wears away at your will to make stuff. We want the process of making stuff to be as seamless and perfect as possible, right? Any extra thinking that we do is no good. So another thing that we want to consider possibly is if you're a person that has a lot of instruments or a lot of things that you grab to make music, are all of those instruments located inside your field of vision? That's super important. Wow. Because I have a perfect example of that too. Well, yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, just growing up, you probably remember my piano. We okay, we had kind of a circular house. You could sort of run through the kitchen and the the living room and the entryway in a circle. And the piano was like on the inside ring of that circle. And I played it every time I passed, I just get sucked in and play it. And then we moved it outside of that ring of the circle and I just stopped playing it all the time. And I just, that was the first time I noticed something like this. It's like, wow, if it's right there, I do it. And if it's right there, I don't do it. Am I weak willed or what's Whoa. going on? Wait, I remember um, that. Yeah. I remember that, that switch. That's insane. I don't know why we moved it. It was so much better in the first spot. I don't know. Maybe your mom thought it didn't have good feng shui. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> Ursula, Ursula may have said that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would I wouldn't put it past it. Yeah. <laughs> so, for example, in in my studio, I mm-hmm. have all of the things that I would ever 
like reach out and grab in my field of vision. And I kind of think of it like if I were a painter, I wouldn't want mm-hmm. all of the colors that I use to be strewn about with some of them outside of my field of vision. It helps the brain to make calculated creative decisions when all of your options are within your field of vision or within mm. your grasp. You're just looking around when you're stuck. You're like, wait a minute, that's a great idea. And it comes together and you pick that color or that instrument, right? Exactly. Yeah. Or if you're trying to find a texture and you're trying to grab something, you want all of your mm-hmm. synths to be in the synth folder, right? So that you can... Oh, the digital space too. Yeah. Yeah. This Forgot goes to the that. digital space for sure. Yeah. You want all of the options to be accessible to you at the same time in the same screen or in the mm. in the real world you want all of them to so don't what i'm saying is if you can help it don't put instruments behind you because you will like your your conscious brain will forget about them hmm yeah makes sense i mean some studios are limited in terms of space and you can't win all these but if if you can get them in front of you that, that makes great sense to keep your options there Mm-hmm. Another um another couple points to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. Uh, a source of friction may be coming from important and often used objects taking an extra motion to access. Right, that means mm-hmm. like gain switches, like power buttons, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in tandem okay. with that, getting the studio running or like powered up, if that takes five steps when it really could take one step, all of this is sort of like under the same category of ease of use, right? Yep, automation things. And actually it leads to a good question that I was just thinking. So Marty, you're in the middle of your creative flow and you realize, oh, actually I use this, um, Let's just make up a button. I use these scissor tools all the time to quickly edit, but I don't have a quick way to get to them. Do you stop your flow and fix that issue? Or do you like throw it on a list for when you're making these tweaks later to make your creative or or your process quicker? Oh yeah, I absolutely throw them on a list. I have like a little sticky Mm. pad um, next to my computer Mm -hmm. that I write all of my like dumb thoughts that I need to get done on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is good. Yeah, I don't really... I'm not down with interrupting my like creative flow or even my mixing flow when I'm mixing. Hmm. I really don't like to be interrupted. I'm I'm a diva about it. Yeah. You got to protect your time. It makes good sense. It's true, man. When you're in the flow state, you're not trying to, you're not trying to eat a cupcake. Psychology term flow state. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. You're not trying to do anything. You're trying to stay in that flow state because it's uh, really a unique thing. If you haven't heard of the flow state, you got to look it up. It's, it's just a concept of being really focused on something to the point where other things are out of your mind, time flies by, you're making decisions in a rapid way. Um, I don't know if there's anything to add to that, Marty. Hey, man, don't don't crush my vibe. I'm in a flow state. Yeah, exactly. I'm flow living state. in the moment. Yeah. I'm out in the flow. <laughs> well, getting back Anyways, to... I keep sp- interjecting on your list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Keep, keep I mean, coming. We're, we're just chugging through it. Getting the studio running is an important one because... Mm-hmm. A big detractor from making that, like we say, the, that first initial engagement, a big source of friction is how hard is it to actually get stuff up and running? You know, if you have a studio that has a power rack and hardware board and an AI 
and two speakers and a laptop and a monitor and you have to turn oh all gosh. of them on if you maybe could keep those power switches on route them all to a power breaker and turn the power breaker on mm -hmm. in one step that's much better right that's automated and that's a crazy studio i'm just thinking about my setup it's like my laptop sometimes doesn't respond and my monitor won't respond to my laptop. I got to unplug, replug. Yep. I got to figure it out. I don't know what's going on. It's probably a hardware software issue, but Yeah. That takes a solid 45 seconds to That's super demotivates <laughs> you. That's that's a, that's a demotivator for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good point. So yeah, big large scale, small scale, like little things can get in the way and sort of add up, right? Oh yeah. And if you're a songwriter, like let's say you write songs on a guitar, getting mm. that guitar out of its case, tuning it, mm. setting up the you know, if you have a stand with a notebook that you write lyrics or chords on, setting that up, mm. sharpening your pencil, like all of this stuff. If you can somehow have a guitar stand that your guitar is always on the the stand that your notebook is on and the pencil already there ready to go you mm -hmm. know the philosophy extends to whatever sort of creative space you choose to be in yeah knocking out the friction yeah yeah really like really really yeah knocking out the friction um yeah so like we said before about putting things that you use in your field of vision it's equally important to place unpleasing things or things that you need to operate but not necessarily want to see outside of your field of vision right so in the mm. context of a home studio that would be all of my xlr cables um that i'm not using mm -hmm. all of my power cables i keep mics behind me even though mics are kind of fun to look at um, I could see them going in your field of vision, but I just choose to keep them away. What else do I have mm -hmm. back there? I have like duct tape, batteries, like instrument cases, random stuff that I need to operate a studio, but don't necessarily, you know, it's like dirty laundry, stuff that just you wouldn't use to record, <laughs> you know? Right. That stuff goes behind yeah. you outside of your field It's not field essential. Vision. Get it out of here. Yeah. Yeah, super important. And I, um, yeah. there are a lot of studios, especially home studios that I go to, where random unimportant things are sort of in the creative space, like in that bubble. And mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a, like a hyper detractor. It sucks. Yeah. I have this pit of cables. It's like the corner of my desk and, and the piano. And all the cables just go into it. And it's actually out of my field of view. So maybe I get points for that. But if I just like put my head over there and look down, it's like the power strip and all the cables are just in a big mass. It looks like that one Pokemon that's like made up of tentacles. Oh yeah, I what it's called? Ten but... Tentacruel. <laughs> Tentacruel, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have a Tentacruel cable Pokemon in my corner. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, in the biz, we call that a crow's nest, or crow's or just the cable nest. <laughs> cable nest yeah yeah it's yep. gotta be somewhere but ideally out of your face it's true yeah i guess we can talk about cable economy we talk we uh, that's a real discussion mm. for sure yeah there i know wow. i know some people that get really freaky about cable economy they think it's very important um they're super mm. anal about making sure their cables are routed behind their monitors like underneath their desk out of field of vision 
they like zip tie their cables and route them together. Like, for example, if you have an audio interface that's connected to, let's say, a snake somewhere else in the studio, um, which is Mm -hmm. like that's a little bit of a technical example. But basically, if you have eight inputs far away from you, um, I know people that will zip tie those eight inputs together um, and route them along the corner of a wall in like the least intrusive way possible um, to their mm-hmm. audio interface. You know, I mean, I guess the the gist of it is you can get as crazy as you want about your cable economy. It definitely matters. And rolling over cables with your chair is one of those detractors. It's it, That's a source of friction for sure. Literal friction in this case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, literal friction. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's that's a good point. And I'm sure there's some, I mean, for everybody, there's a bit of a time to benefit uh, ratio there where, you know, okay, I want my cables to be clean so I'm not hitting them with my chair and tripping over them and stuff. Maybe personally I don't need it like tucked into the wall, but it would be nice if I could just like throw a big carpet over it or something. Um, oh, or, yeah. Or just make it neat in a sort of a quick way. I'm a bit lazy with that kind of stuff because I usually just get frustrated rolling them up and stuff. But, you know, if I had more time, maybe I'd be more patient. I mean, yeah, you're not trying to be like those uh, kitchen organizer people on TikTok, you know, like buying <laughs> like 20 different containers for nuts. Yeah. You know, it's like you can get as crazy as you want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to rejar all of my flour. You know, I'm just not going to do that every time. I'm just no. going to stick it in. I mean, it looks so good, but then the thing is, next time I buy it, you know, I'm not printing out labels. For, okay, I'm I'm ranting now, but <laughs> I know. yeah, I'm not gonna remember that the baking soda is in a jar. Yeah, I will admit I've printed labels before for things, and now all my spices have the wrong labels on them, and it was really fun for that one time, <laughs> but I learned my lesson. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah. some more ideas. Uh, how's my chair? Okay. Your chair is important. Is really important. Hmm. That's all I'll say. I just stand. I I never. I never. Oh, people talk about the standing desk, bro. Do you have a standing desk? I don't actually. My old housemate had one, and now he has one with a motor. It's so cool. <gasps> um, but no, I don't. I don't have one. I was. I was just bluffing. I always sit, and then my feet get cold because my circulation's bad. Oh, my circulation's horrible. Hey, God, I'm trying to move around more. It's tough. It's tough being in a sitting world where you hang out at computers. Yeah. And actually, it's kind of tough that music is, in a lot of times, is now at computers, too. Because after, you know, a day of work for me and then going to the computer, it's a little bit, that's another friction for me that I've tried to sort of address. But address. Um, but I've noticed that on the weekend, I have so much more energy because I haven't been sitting at a computer all day. Bro. And then the computer seems more fun. Bro, my, my, um, uh, my film editor cousin, he has a standing desk mm-hmm. and he loves it. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. He loves maybe it. It's, maybe it's worth it. I might, you know, hmm. that's worth considering. I know quite a few people who have a standing desk, and like, my mom has a standing desk at her job. Really? Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should uh, see if we can find one that we can plug on here. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should we should have a um a tune shed standing desk, a brand a, a branded standing desk. <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves yeah that'd be good so all right how's your chair get a better chair if it sucks that's there's really not much mm-hmm. to go into um yeah. one thing i do want to talk about are io presets and templates mm-hmm. so they i mean they're kind of okay. the same side of uh 
<laughs> same side of a different coin. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Did you just make that up? That's good. I almost said it, non-ironically. I almost <laughs> same side of a different coin. Oh, that's so funny. So, IO presets are the outside of the box, real-world version of a template in your DAW, right? Or mm-hmm. a template in whatever sort of creative software using. So okay. if you find yourself always plugging an audio cable into input two of your Focusrite when you, whenever you want to play guitar and then wrapping it up, or if you have multiple instruments that need a guitar cable, are you mm-hmm. using five guitar cables and having to remember which input each of those instruments are? Or can you oh, okay. just plug one uh, guitar cable into input two and then just change the cable whenever, you know, unplug the instrument whenever you need to change instruments. So, you know, assess your workflow and what you typically like to do um, and ask yourself mm-hmm. the question, can I just leave stuff plugged in? Is there stuff that I can just leave plugged in and label so that I don't have to take that extra step of routing something, you know? Got it. Okay. So that's another, you know, physical space. You catch yourself doing something you've done many times. Actually, kind of a concept of automation um, that I think comes from the tech industry, but probably is everywhere, is that if you ever catch yourself doing something twice, you should think about automating it in some way. And that's kind of what you're saying there. Like, if you're unplugging this cable for the the second time, just think, wait a minute, am I going to do this a million more times? And is there a way I can not do that? Whoa, Um, I love that. If you ever catch yourself... I mean, two times might be a little sharp, but... Yeah, yeah. uh, but I mean... If you ever catch yourself doing something twice, you should think about automating it. Whoa. It doesn't feel like automating too when you're talking about like uh, plugging and unplugging a cable. And it's like a little bit of a robotic term, I guess. But I, um, I like framing it that In terms of way. sort of reducing friction, yeah. It makes sense. No, it is totally is automating it. <laughs> That's cool. I love that. Well, okay. So the same can apply inside the box too or in the DAW. Um, if you mm-hmm. find yourself wanting to start making a song... And you open up your DAW and you're like, okay, create the audio track for reverb. Now I create an audio track for guitar. Now I create a tra- couple audio tracks for drums. And I put the drum mm-hmm. machine in those audio tracks. Okay, great. And now I have to... So if, you, if this is the way you set your song up every time, make a template. Mm-hmm. Save the step, right? Those mm-hmm. are two, and again, these are causes of friction that prevent people from making that initial step. That initial engagement yeah. is super important. What's just going to be the easiest way to flick a switch, click a button, and start doing it? Yeah. So again, like fitting this into your process, these are the kind of things you you might notice, like, oh, I'm doing this a lot, or oh, I, I make that setup. You kind of have to spend a little bit of time to make your template or sort of optimize your flow, like doing whatever it is, your your mental or your physical cleanup, right? Um, before you sort of get into your creative process. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's, it's really good mm-hmm. to, especially if you're kind of like a hyper-professional um, in this industry, it's nice to set an hour or two in your calendar every couple months, maybe even every like half a year, and just say, hey, I want to look at my my physical flow. I want to look at the studio feng shui. I just want to look at what's going on and see if I can optimize anything. 
you know you, yeah. what you're saying is is super important so you have to set time for it and sort of think about it separately because i'm sure that almost every time i sit down to make music if i don't have an output at all in any way it's a little bit sad but if i sit down and say oh today i'm just gonna think about optimizing something then uh yeah and then i get that goal and i don't really inter- interrupt the creative process i guess yeah yeah, I guess you don't really have to schedule it. I I'm just kind of type A like that. <laughs> schedule. Oh, no, I like too. literally hyper schedule my entire life. Yeah, Google Calendar is my best friend. Yo, me too. <laughs> Actually, yeah, like if someone's like, "Hey, want to play basketball on Thursday?" I'm like, "Yeah, what's your email?" And they're like, "What?" <laughs> and then I send them an invite on Google Calendar. And then they're like, "Wait, man, I was just gonna bail on that because that's what people do. Like, they just make loose plans." And I'm like, "No, you can't. <laughs> you must play basketball with me." And I'm terrible, by the way. <laughs> oh bro we should we should play basketball sometime it'd be hilarious to watch <laughs> i love basketball so much this is an aside but i realized the other day i talk about basketball and about playing basketball more than i've actually played basketball do you in my really life. do you love basketball definitely that much? <laughs> it, actually it's been since we like hung out in high school so it's in college i had a friend who's super into it and he we would watch and he taught me all the rules. I'd ask him like a hundred questions. And then all of a sudden I love all the NBA players. I'm watching everything. I'm talking about playing all the time. I bought some shoes um, and I barely ever play, honestly. But actually I played this last weekend. So I feel good about no that. No kidding. That. I did not know that yeah. about it's you. It's so fun. You like basketball. It's so fun. So creative, you know, like you just want some player moves around a little bit and there's some crossovers and the person in front of them falls over. Like, how does that happen? I have seen videos like of that happening. It is very fun. It's incredible. Like, there's there's some real real connection there, um, or misconnection, I should say. Misconnection. Yeah. Anyways, an aside. So, is there any anything else on sort of the physical space that we should uh, that we should tackle? Yeah, well, yeah, a couple footnotes, I guess. There's, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's the whole note taking thing. I'm not I'm not about to lecture anybody on note taking. Just reassess mm-hmm. your note taking. Sometimes it's not that great, and you'll know if it's not that great. <laughs> Mine isn't that great, and uh, I probably should reassess. Um, another thing, like just yeah. Sorry, wait, go wait, ahead. hold on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> just a quick little call out. If you feel like your note taking sucks, um, but what kind of are you just saying like note taking, like writing something down, you're like oh shoot, I need to work on how to you know get that record button in an easier place for me or is that that kind of note taking or or what do you mean yeah well like anything really like if you um i'm trying to think of an example like if you had a really nice chord progression on the bus uh that you were thinking about and Uh, you have a way of taking that note um transfer that note to a good spot in the studio or like you're more Transfer that note to your more like professional or your more legit notebook or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever sort of system works for you. I think that's yeah. sort of what I mean. I sometimes have um like I have this little sticky note next to my computer full of a bunch of mm-hmm. sub frequencies. And the reason why I have mm-hmm. that is because whenever I use the plugin R bass, which is a plugin uh, that's used to sort of like beef up low end. Um, mm-hmm. I need to calibrate that plugin to the key of the song, but that plugin gives me hertz, which is a measure of frequency, and those frequency mes- those frequency measurements match up to the keys <laughs> of songs. So I need to literally 
know which hertz match up to which note on the keyboard. So I have a little sticky note next to my computer with like a good range of those for the sub frequencies, literally for that reason. So Um, that's that's like one really weird example. Actually, yeah, it's a perfect example of reducing friction, right? That's something you probably did a few times and had to look up and you're like, ah, it's annoying. And now you have that nice note right there so you can fly through it. That's right. That's literally it. Heck yeah. Okay. So yeah, I get you. Get, get nice, clean notes. Uh, sort of keep them in a in a professional manner to help yourself uh, have less friction instead of having them in 50 different notes spread across your phone. Oh yeah. Yeah. The worst thing is like, oh, I have this one notebook, but I can't remember if I wrote it in the other notebook or on the notes app on my phone or on Google Calendar. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I can't remember. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. It's rough out there. Okay. Yeah. And the other last thing, um, if your space is like dull, dark, cluttered, or maybe even too barren, decorate, get some good lighting, like, re- you know, assess mm-hmm. what kind of state, like do all of the, the Pinteresty, like Marie Kondo stuff. Like, does this thing spark joy? What's, you know, is, is this lighting <laughs> working for me? Am I motivated by yeah. being in here? Does it, does it smell good? You know, like that stuff. Do I need some incense? <laughs> Do I need some decoration? Yeah. My whole studio ceiling is covered in tapestries. Oh, nice. Right? And uh, I started doing that in college because I had nowhere else to put them because we weren't allowed it to. It feels very college. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. But it also kind of doubles as a little bit of sound dampening, which is nice. Oh, smart. Yeah. I yeah. Actually, it's kind of funny. We were just, we were talking before we hit record on the show, but I'm in this room and, and my brother went on a trip and it's a shared office and uh, we live together. And so his, his desk is actually out of here right now. Um, we're going to use it as part of a Thanksgiving table. Anyways, you can hear this room is a little bit more alive. And then Marty, your setup is so crisp and clean. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, maybe I should put some tapestries on the ceiling. And actually I hung up lights in here today. Speaking of making the space a little bit better, I got some frosted like outdoor lights and i hung up around the top and it yeah it feels a lot warmer oh we love that yeah the, but, but what you're talking yeah. about is important like you know what's gonna make me happy like what, yeah. what am i gonna enjoy being in here like if you have say a studio and it's next to your bed like is mm-hmm. your bed weirdly crowding up on your space like is your bed really close to your desk could that be different mm-hmm. is your wall complete white plaster is that your vibe if not what can I do to make this like a much more enjoyable space to sit down and be a part of? Yeah. So I guess one thing to going back to my example earlier of wanting, you know, two full walls of glass, like obviously that would take a lot of money to do. And, you know, some people are making great music in their bedrooms. Um, I guess it's, you sort of got to work what you got um, in the famous lines of Mac Miller. Yeah. Right. You know, Where's is there a line somewhere where it's like okay I'm over engineering this and I'm not just making music or do you fall have you ever fell into that sort of trap or what do you think I'm not sure I don't know I I I guess I don't really have like a good conception of how anal I am <laughs> you know I don't I don't know but I just let it run <laughs> I I think I think a lot about you know, how can this be easier? How can this be more creative? 
only because so much of what I do requires me to be creative. So I get how if Mm -hmm. it's like, if being creative is more of something that you like to do as a hobby or as a stress reliever, it can be more difficult to, to like set aside time to think about how to optimize your space. You know what I mean? Mm. So yeah. I'm not, I guess we in a weird way. I'm not like a good person to answer that question. Huh? Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like on my side, there's definitely been times where I've sort of said some of these questions like, Oh, I really wish you know I had this space and then I'd make music more or, Oh, if I had this equipment or, Oh, if I was more comfortable in there somehow, Mm-hmm. You know, those types of things. So I, I feel like it could be a slippery slope where all of a sudden I, I fix all these other issues and I don't sort of focus on the music itself. Um, uh-huh. But also I understand what you mean about the friction. Like if I have to plug and replug all the time, well, of course I'm not going to have so much fun because I have this idea I'm trying to get down and then it just doesn't get there because of everything in the way. So, yep. yeah, I guess like most things in life, it's a balancing act. You got to you got to find the right balance there. Oh, of course. And if it, um, I guess, start with the little stuff. Like if you make a small change and you take stock of that change and you're like, wow, that, that actually helped. Keep doing that. Even if it helps a little bit, mm. you do that 20 times, you make 20 tiny optimizations. I, I like, I literally promise you it, you'll feel it. Like you'll feel a difference for sure. Hmm. And then once you sort of maybe stop feeling the benefit, you're like, well, maybe what I'm doing isn't actually adding much value anymore, and I'll just uh, crack on with it. Absolutely. Yep. And again, this is cool. this isn't really like all of this stuff. Yeah, I guess it's like some of it is about the creative process, like when you're in the thick of it. But most of it really does have to do with that first initial step, because most of the reason why people oh, yeah. aren't motivated to to create is because they don't they just don't want to sit down and do that first thing. Hmm. They don't want to do it. They're not drawn to it. They yep. they did, you know, especially especially if you're a hobbyist or if you're making music for fun. Yeah. That absolutely happens to me. It's uh, it, going up to the office and starting to make music has passed my mind probably 10 12 times today uh, and I didn't do it, I admit. Mhm. Yeah. Um so yeah, it makes sense that first step is is the hardest part. Yeah, I think so too. Well, do we want to move on to sort of the more mental aspect of this thing? Yeah, let's get to it. <laughs> let's talk psychology. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this will this will be much more of a conversation because I'm sure you'll have a bajillion thoughts about some. I mean, th- this is the shorter version of um, or the, the the shorter half of this whole spiel, right? But I think mm. before before we get into it. Um, I'll just, I'll read my little disclaimer that I put because I don't want anyone to get the mm-hmm. wrong idea. So it is very easy to take motivation personally. And, that, and that's, that goes mm-hmm. especially double for me being unmotivated oh, yeah, and, me and getting nothing done. It can feel like you're, you're just worthless. I and mean, you're like, you're not a good artist. You're not a good creator. Um, it, it, it affects negatively on, on yourself. I've absolutely had days where it felt like I was wasting my twenties away. You know, it's, it's awful. It's horrible. That's a, that's a big feeling too. I I can relate to that. That's hard. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's not great. And an even bigger qualifier. Um, this is by no means a, um, this, this whole section of the podcast is by no means 
a diagnosis or even a conversation about depression, anxiety, or other like very legitimate mental struggles. Um, mm-hmm. this is this should be much more a conversation of just like tips and tricks we've learned along the way for stuff that happens inside of the musician brain. You know, um, mm. you know, if if you are a musician struggling with depression, anxiety, you will need different tools to deal with that than the ones we're discussing, right? I think what we're going to talk about is what everyone goes through, what like literally every creator goes through. A little bit of self-doubt, a little bit of motivation struggles. What can I do to sort of affirm myself back into the chair? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I, well, I just wanted to get that out of the way before we started to talk about motivation because it it is it is tricky. Yeah, it's a super important asterisk to bring up. Yep. Cool. Well, I think again, some of the people that I really admire who make music for hours every day, they and if they really treat their music making as a business. They treat motivation as a resource. You need to take stock of that resource. You need to find ways to optimize. And you need to reassess strategies regularly. Um, Much the same way like a CEO would look at a resource like labor or like an advertising budget or something. You know, if you treat your motivation as a tangible resource that that you can mold, that you can manipulate, then you can start to make progress, right? You can make tangible goals okay. and you can you can work on it. So that seems like it would require, you know, an awareness of not just your motivation on any given day, but sort of over time. And then also sort of some experimentation like, oh, I did this and this changed or, oh, these other things are happening in my life and my motivation changed like this, you know? Oh, um, absolutely. And that, I mean, you're touching on a problem that a lot of people have, which is, They, most people are not conscious of their own motivation. They're not actively thinking about their own emotions at all. You know, most people, Mm -hmm. I mean, we all have incredibly complicated endocrine systems and emotions and feelings about ourselves and things that motivate us and demotivate us, but we usually don't think about them or, or label them. Um, that's a great point. You know what I mean? Like when's the last time you were like, I am feeling sad because <laughs> because of this. And there's so much power to labeling things. It feels funny, but uh, oh no, I'm spacing on the name of the philosopher, but sort of he says we're the, the fly trapped in a fly jar, meaning that language is the jar and we can't think outside of that. And I know that's a very contentious thing to say straight up, but check out, just, just Google fly in a fly jar. You'll find this philosopher. It's a really interesting idea about how actually labeling can help us understand and uh, feel things and communicate things. And um, yeah, part fly. it's part of our existence, literally. Fly um, fly a little aside, but... I'm writing it down. I have to look this up. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting concept. And I think the way he words it is extremely controversial, which makes it really fun. Um, but the power in the idea is there um, that, you know, labeling things can help you is how you understand them. That's cool. As I understand it, labeling is like a super Eastern idea. Like I know. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Well, so so I've read a little bit about uh, Buddhism in my college days. You know, get that mm-hmm. a musician reading about Buddhism in college. <laughs> <laughs> but some of, Why not? some of the thing that you um, 
some things that you come across again and again is that in in meditation specifically i think in um shayahana buddhism there's an emphasis on labeling your the world around you and labeling what's happening inside of you so i mean it can get as simple as labeling all of your sensory input right you say like ooh i smell the air i see the tree i feel the ground on my feet i'm cold i'm hungry mm-hmm. you know stuff like that um and that's an exercise that that a lot of buddhists do to increase their sort of sensory awareness and their being present in the moment um the same can mm. go for your inner workings like your emotions um a lot of more western minded buddhists sort of take that practice and shift it over to everyday tasks right so in all of the um books about like being a buddhist in a fast capitalist city they always say you know whenever you do something whenever you commute whenever you do anything you like doing like watching tv or Mm -hmm. you know going to the gym um label how it makes you feel before during and after and sort of take stock of what all of these things that you're doing how how all of the everyday tasks are contributing to your overall like emotional cocktail hmm you know i have a really interesting concept that sort of relates to that that i've experienced um it's i've called it being instantly reflective um, a lot of times I'll notice, you know, something happens and then later I finally reflect on it and actually understood what happens. But when I noticed it, I was watching a TV show about people um, building homes and in, in every home that they build, it's always the owners don't want to be the project managers. And then by the end they are and they have no idea what they're doing. And there's a million problems and their house turned out great, but it was way over budget and all this <laughs> stuff. Um, but one person on that show stuck out because during the entire episode they were saying things that people usually only sent at the end of the episode and so he he was instantly reflecting like oh i'm in way too deep and he was saying things like that when literally no other episode had someone doing that and i think that idea of sort of labeling your emotions as you go or or labeling just how you feel uh can help you like have that greater understanding that was sort of my own epiphany but uh right on subject yeah i think there's a lot I i think there's a ton to that Right. Yeah. I mean, it's so useful. That's literally why you take stock of anything to find if it's useful. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. like a CEO would do the same thing to a budget report. That's a resource that right. they have. It's information. And they say, okay, that's important. That's really good. This is bad. Let's get rid of that. You know, if you hmm. have that information coming in constantly, it's going to be so much easier to like, manipulate your motivation that way for some reason it's less intuitive with the concept of motivation to sort of keep stock on it but when you say it, it's like yeah why not it's something that's really important to me if i'm motivated to do something or not right well right and if, it impacts my life and if you have really good labeling information about the things that you do every day mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to change your habits you just have to plan your creative time around things that motivate you, right? So I like, this is something that I do probably to a fault, but I, I like literally plan my coffee crashes. I, I like plan my day around crashing from coffee at like five or six. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? How many hours is it from when you drink coffee? Is it like it's usually around eight hours is the half-life? Or I, don't I think know so. Is. Well, I think that, isn't it? Don't they say like the half-life of coffee is like 12 hours? Technically. Oh, 12. Okay. Well, I guess whenever you feel whenever. it, it's a crash, right? Yeah. Well, it's like I usually drink coffee around 10 or 11 and crash around five mm. or six. Oh, okay. You know? So I'm like so five what or six. Do you- five or six is like, is like go eat <laughs> and check your phone and do stuff that's not important <laughs> like respond to random texts and like send a dumb snapchat time that's pretty smart okay <laughs> you know what i mean but i think and you don't let anything mess with your time when you're on your sort of coffee high huh right well it's 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 kind of less like i'm like oh well it's time to not do anything it's like i don't plan any creative time for when i know i'm gonna be crashing from coffee (laughs) you know i'm like i'm not gonna schedule some crazy like creative producer session at five yeah you know smart well yeah yeah it's really smart for sure well i mean that's that's kind of an extreme example of the overarching idea which is like once you have really good information about what motivates you you can do whatever motivates you whatever makes you feel very creative before you create right so i know a ton of people that like to create after watching someone else create right so like before before they make music they like watch a twitch stream of some producer or they'll watch a video of of uh tom what's his name he does tom brady Tom Brady, <laughs> yeah. They'll watch. They'll watch. And how he doesn't videos. eat bread. <laughs> yeah. How he does, I actually, wait, I actually he doesn't eat bread. Get. I think he doesn't eat bread. Does he really? Not? Yeah. He, wow. He's like really extreme. That's why he's. Oh. And that's why he's great. I don't know. Maybe he's great, and that's why he's really extreme. Hey man, he went to Michigan. Um, Go blue. That's all I know. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Well, anyways, I was going to say, I actually usually, I'm just reflecting now because you're bringing it up. I usually feel stoked to make music right after I listen to music. I like, if I find something new or if I'm just like doing more active listening and trying to listen for new parts and I find something. Um, that happened to me with a gorilla song that I loved when in eighth grade, literally the other day, and I found a new synth in it and I was just so stoked. Um, and yeah, maybe I should capitalize on that. Yeah, definitely capitalize on it. You can even build it into your day if you want to. Like you can say, hey, I kind of like I have free time around 8, 730. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pull up a, a video. I'm going to pull up a Tom Brady video of him not eating bread. It's going <laughs> to make me feel so good. Like if you know this about yourself from labeling yeah. like everyday things, then that becomes easy, right? That becomes like a tangible, planable, exec- executable, executable <laughs> actually it becomes like obvious like i i, I kind of feel like a facepalm right now because now that i'm thinking about all these things you know for myself it's like oh duh like i knew i was motivated after i listened to music but i never really said that mm-hmm. labeled it hm. yo powerful stuff man yo that okay now that you mention that there are a few things that i'm thinking of that like demotivate me for sure one of them is tiktok so I don't know why TikTok has found a, like they've raced to the bottom of the brainstem for sure. Like tick TikTok, yeah. whenever I, I do like a half an hour, 45 scrolling on TikTok, I love TikTok and I laugh. And then I'm so like 
dopamine depleted by the end of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why. It is so evil. That app. I feel so dizzy after it. Oh, I do. Like, it's so fast. It's so. Yeah. But like, dude, that is a demotivator for sure. And I think that's a good conversation to just have generally like amongst society, but especially amongst creators. Mm-hmm. Like be really wary of video games and social media. And I don't mean to come across like a mom, like be wary of it. But I know people that are very motivated by like very quick reactionary video games like a first person shooter Mm -hmm. that's awesome like if that motivates you hell yeah um but for Mm -hmm. most of us i i i do not recommend doing (laughs) like video games or social media before creating or like around creating because i found it's it's a super detractor yeah that's an interesting point it'd probably be worth a test but yeah i've definitely notice sort of the funks that a video game might put me in uh or sometimes the highs like if i play mario kart with other people i'm so excited after and i don't really play alone ever anymore because the few times i did i just felt frantic after and by the way shout out mario kart 8 the music is so good in that game it's incredible i love it so much but it's also super stressful uh (laughs) yeah which is hilarious oh my god we should do an Um, episode on mario kart music we absolutely oh, should because it is it's brilliant. bonkers and actually in mario kart 8 there's stuff in the in the track like you'll go over this area and it's stairs and each stair triggers a different part of the music it's really cool wow dude Ma- yeah dude nintendo music mario music especially we've got to do like mar like what is mario kart music and why does it slap it slaps it's so good. Some of the bass lines, the guitar solos, it's out of this world. Okay, we're yep. we're way out here now. Yeah, we're on Tangentville. <laughs> we got to get back. Okay, yeah. what were we talking? Oh, yeah. Um, video games, social media, check yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're good, great. Yep. Chances are you're not. Um, also, let's talk quickly about just substances in the, in the creative space. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a touchy subject. So we talked caffeine. Yeah, we talked caffeine, um, smoking and drinking. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, in my state, weed is legal, and so a lot of, especially in the in the hip hop world, a lot of the guys that come in want to do some freestyle or want to write a verse, want to create stuff. Um, they like mm-hmm. some weed. They like to smoke some weed for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the conversation has to be about yourself and how being under the influence of something affects your creative process and taking stock of that has to has to be the same kind of thing where you take stock of what motivates you right um mm-hmm. for me personally um smoking doesn't really vibe i sort of just get anxious <laughs> stressed out yeah um yeah. and sort of have ever since college i'm not really a big smoker um Mm-hmm. Which a lot of people are really surprised by after they listen to my music. <laughs> they're like, you don't smoke weed? <laughs> I'm like, no. Like, your music sounds great when I'm high. What do you mean? Yeah, and they're like, oh, <laughs> you're just literally that that insane. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. Well, don't be judged by it. You don't need a crutch for, for, for being uh, in a certain area with your expression, I think. 
power to you for being in a place that other people maybe only feel comfortable in when they're high. I'm not saying that's the scenario of all the people who came to you, but uh, probably for some, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in some of the rappers in in the Detroit scene who Mm -hmm. their whole thing is, you know, I like to keep myself on my toes. I'll come in, smoke a blunt. Mm -hmm. I'll be in a space. You know, I'll be in a in a in a unique space. I'll be feeling good, and then the next time I grab the studio, I'll go in. I'll go in sober. I'll try to do it dry, you know, and see what that produces. Hmm. Um, I think that's pretty heady. That's a that's to me that's a really smart way of going about it because then you sort of have the best of both worlds. You have and you have good data points on what sort of art that you're making. Um, when you're high and when you're sober, you know, same goes for drinking, same goes for whatever. Um, but mm-hmm. I think the minute you say I can only make stuff when I feel a certain way, then you're, you become crippled by whatever that thing is. Right. It's your crutch, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So dude, nothing wrong with smoking and drinking and making stuff like, <laughs> yeah. you know, or, or, you know, smoking and drinking plus just ask the Beatles, right? Some of the best yeah. art was smoking and drinking plus. So yeah, <laughs> it's a touchy subject, especially for a podcast, and it's a whole can of worms. But yeah. if, you know, it, it deserves a mention for sure. Yeah. And one other thing is like, I always like to sort of joke around and say caffeine is my favorite drug. Um, and it's kind of two things. One, I really like coffee. Uh, but, but two caffeine's a drug too. And, um, like you say, you've sort of fit it into your schedule and use it to do certain things and know how it impacts you in, you know, your crash and maybe more of a negative way. You're like, okay, I'm just not going to use this space for that. Um, and you know, I think as long as you kind of keep that balance and like you say, sort of reflect on it and, uh, and use it in the right way that yeah, you can get something out of it or be careful with it and avoid it and get something out of it that way too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I sort of freak myself out sometimes with with coffee because I find myself talking about coffee the same way that David Bowie talked about other certain stimulants. And I'm like, uh oh, uh oh, row. that's not good. Yeah. You know, don't let it be a gateway, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, for sure. Well, even just like, you don't want to become dependent. You're like, oh, I don't have coffee. I can't do it. Yeah. (laughs) And actually, one aside that's kind of interesting. I have a friend who smokes cigarettes and he's sort of been talking about quitting and and we're really close, but he sort of brought something to my attention as a non-smoker that I never understood. And it's not just you smoke cigarettes um, because you're addicted. That's part of it. But he was saying... He listed probably 15 and 20 unique scenarios where cigarettes do something for him. Like, it gets me outside. It lets me take a break. It's a reward for finishing a certain amount of work. It's a social thing where I meet someone and talk to them. It's a social thing like when I'm going out at night because you offer someone a cigarette and you meet them that way. Uh, And he had a bunch more too. But when you're in that big mix and all of a sudden it might be a crutch for your music as well, you have to sort of be cognizant of, okay, well, why am I doing this? Is Am I doing this because uh, I'm being heady, like you said, and I want to experiment, you know, if I'm high and I record and do it on the spot, and if I'm sober and record and do it on the spot, what's that like? That's one thing. But it's probably a different thing if you have a mix of motivations that are all piling up, right? Oh, that's a really good point. 
Wait, I I love that yeah. point about cigarettes. Cuz yeah, it's not just yeah, it's I not just that it. baseline feeling. It's it's the social thing. Oh, that's that's great. Mhm. That's super good. And I've always been so judgmental lately. I was like, oh, I'm going to quit. And I'm like, come on, are you really? You know, I've always been sort of frustrated because I want them to be healthy, you know, and all these things. But once you list out like 15 literal unique scenarios where cigarettes are doing something for you, it's like, wow, okay, now you have to replace that across all those to meet all those needs. And that's a whole different thing. That's wow. um, So I kind of had some respect for the battle, I guess. That's like 100% blowing my mind right now. That's super cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah, like epi- how do epiphany, you replace right? something like imprinted upon the imprinted upon your lifestyle, you know? Right. But that's good. Exactly. I think in the um in the ta- like in the world of of music making, you can better mm-hmm. navigate these like super big broad things that we're talking about with good labeling, right? And good good self-reflection taking self-stock mm-hmm. right sort of the same thing the same way that you think about your own motivation you could think about the ways that you use the various quote-unquote creative tools right outlined tools in the tune shed yeah dude tools in the tune shed <laughs> <laughs> so above all i find it helpful and reassuring to think of motivation as a sort of complex cocktail of endorphins and chemicals rather than a ghostly wisp that you can either like have or not have, right? So broadly mm-hmm. speaking, motivation is manipulatable to a point, of course. Knowing this and actively strategizing ways to manipulate my motivation levels helps with self-doubt, right? It reinforces this idea that your dignity and self-worth are in no way connected to what you feel like making music. It's in, it's in no way dependent on if you feel like making music right now. Yeah. And you know, if you're reflective about your motivation and can sort of see it across weeks and months and across all these different scenarios, then when you're having a low motivation day, you'll say, oh yeah, it typically dips, you know, when my caffeine spike is over or, oh, it typically dips at this time of day. And you'll just know that. And then it's not really a reflection on you or your character. It's just, it's just part of how things roll, right? Yeah. It's just what's happening in this stupid melting pot of chemicals we call a brain no i have i have a buddy who he um he does this really well and he knows that on rainy days he's like toast he knows that about himself should not move to portland no (laughs) it's true come in the summer (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's crazy how much actually like small things yeah the whole mind-body thing. Okay, here's my psychology rant. It's happening. We got to wrap up soon, I know. But in my opinion, uh, you know, a bunch of rainy days happen and then it's sunny and you're like, wait, why am I so happy? What happened? What about the last 10 days? Um, you know, I think being more reflective can help fight that. But in a sense, the mind-body connection, you know, people are saying this mind-body thing. I actually think we need a new word that combines both. But just by calling it mind and body, we're like assuming this separation that doesn't makes sense um and like you say we're like we're actually just sort of a basket of chemicals swirling around and we have the ability to sort of manipulate that like you say to a point um yeah so there's some power to that and um some power to you know thinking about your environment and how it relates to your your person i love that yeah maybe we do need a new word for the mind body connection (laughs) yeah that's my take a little bit of a hot take, I know, but um, 
Yeah, if language is a fly jar and we're calling it mind and body, that means we're thinking of it as two separate things. Oh my god, um, he wrapped it up. I wrapped, he wrapped it, up. it up in a bow. <laughs> all right let's leave it at that marty um what's up next i see on our schedule it says lazy people jazz tell me about it yeah so we're gonna demystify jazz we're gonna tell you that jazz is not as hard as it looks i mean it can be but it doesn't have to be (laughs) so it's not a hoax like jazz is legit jazz is legit but you can make it sound legit with one simple step we'll talk about it that sounds awesome. <laughs> and it reminds me, you were saying that, um, what was it? You were saying jazz people you uh, have studied with said that to shed a song is to practice a song. So tune shed has a secret double meaning. Secret double meaning. Yeah. Before this episode started rolling, we were talking and I mentioned like, oh yeah, we can shed this tune. And then Blake said, what? And I said, oh yeah, yeah. Jazz musicians, they say like whenever they want to practice something, they they want to shed uh-huh. it. They shed the tune, or like when they um when they want to get better at their instrument, they shed scales. Or like they they just shed. So there's oh, a little bit of because I always think of like a guitar solo as like shredding with a secret R in there, but maybe shedding is just like kind of like a cool lingo way to do it. Yeah, shedding is like know? its own its own little. Th- it's like the cool, you know. I I wear a winter hat in the summertime. Cool kind of vibes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I wear shorts in the wintertime. Cool kind of vibes. Yeah, yeah that's super cool. <laughs> that was way too common in the high school we went to. Yeah. Oh, that was ridiculous. Oh, up into UP. It was, it was actually like hilarious. It's like three feet of snow outside, and people are like, yeah, I wear basketball shorts, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, let's wrap that up. I'm stoked for uh, Lazy People Jazz, and see you next time, right? See you next time. Love you guys. Heck yeah. Love you all. Peace. Thank you.